Well, as I said, it's a great joy to be celebrating the Feast of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was uh, a very famous saint who lived in the latter half of the 4th century going into the early 5th century in antiquity. And uh, he sums up so much, uh, it really, in just in one person, uh, what we believe and what we hold true t- to be true as, as Catholics, uh, along with Gregory the Great, uh, and St. Ambrose and St. Jerome, he's considered one of the four great doctors of the West. And then in the East, there's four other doctors, which I think is Chrysostom and uh, Gregory Nazianzus and uh, two others that I can't remember. But in any event, as far as the Western thought, Latin thought is concerned, St. Augustine is really the, the cream of the crop. And... Um, Never ceases to amaze me. Even right now, I'm, I'm going back uh, for my morning meditations. I'm reading his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very, very rich, very, very profound, very holy man. And I think his wisdom comes forth from his holiness. Uh, he was known as being uh, kind of in the tradition. He's one of these saints that he didn't really grow up holy. Like so, some saints are like you know they're holy from the time that they're toddlers, you know. And then other saints have a big conversion. And so Augustine is one of these guys that has a big conversion. His mother was praying for him. We celebrated the feast of Saint Monica. His mother yesterday. His his mother, who was a Catholic Christian, had been praying for him for for pretty much his whole life. And then she started to get really worried about him. In his teen years, he started to get a little wild. Although by today's comparison, it wasn't so wild, <laughs> you know. So he's known as a bad boy, but I don't know. Compared to today, he's not so bad, you know. He had he basically what he did is he he was a very intelligent guy, and he got involved in um, uh, academics, and he was preparing to become a rhetorician, uh, which was someone at that time period who would be involved, he could use his oral speaking talents in any number of endeavors, such as like a lawyer, for example, he could become a lawyer. So he was heading you know, down that route uh, in his academic training, and he got uh, wrapped up with uh, this sect called the Manichaeans, so that was kind of bad. Um, and then he just couldn't seem to really... Uh, you know, apart from God's grace, really get his his sexual impulses under control. You know, and it's in a certain sense, it's a, like I said, relatively speaking, it's not too big of a deal. He had this girlfriend, essentially. He had a common-law wife that he lived with for about 10 years. So, I mean, there's worse things than that. <laughs> so he's known as a bad boy, but in a certain sense, he's not that bad compared to, uh, you know, things going on today that we see commonly. But in any event, uh, towards his late 20s, he had a great conversion. And it was the fruit of about 12 to 15 years or so of study. And uh, he had a great conversion to the faith. And St. Ambrose was one of the people that helped him. So that's kind of the short and skinny of his life. After his conversion, he he threw himself uh, into the gospel and into the church. Um, and he first began kind of like as a hermit. He lived as a hermit. Uh, and then eventually the local bishop ordained, wanted him to be a priest, they ordained him a priest, and then eventually he would become a bishop. So he, he was the bishop of Hippo, which is in North Africa. So uh, what can I say in general, though, for takeaway for us, practically speaking, and try to tie it into the gospel? What I see going on in the gospels, this is a great gospel passage, uh, and it's one of those things, again, so many counterintuitive things in the Bible uh, well, I think a lot of people maybe look at the, the these wise virgins and they say, I don't know, are they being selfish or something? They're not sharing their oil with someone else? What's going on? I think that's kind of a, uh, a knee-jerk reaction we might have at first to the wise virgins. But there's a deeper truth that's being expressed by this parable, and that is 
the way that I would phrase it or articulate it is that we have to grasp accurately what the true self is. Okay? And so because we often work for and try to pump up and build the esteem of the false self, we neglect the true self. And the true self becomes kind of anemic and weak. Okay? And the wise virgins are wise because they have invested their whole life in the true self. And they have, in terms of the true self, there is a healthy um, way of saying no. Okay? Um, and that's what we see with the, with the wise virgins. The, the, the foolish virgins come and they say, give us some of your oil. And they say, no. <laughs> okay, there's a true self that we need to guard and protect and nourish and build up. But the whole question is, what is the true self? The true self is our identity in Christ from an eternal perspective. That's the true self. The false self is regarding and reflecting upon oneself uh purely in terms of the more external aspects, okay, our reputation amongst others, what other people think about us, um, our bodies, our looks, okay. Um, you know, I, I uh, in the past few years, I've gotten back into kind of resurrected a little bit of practice from my youth, and, and I, I exercise on a daily basis. And so I follow YouTube health gurus, so I get into the YouTube health guru scene a little bit, and I, it's always a temptation for me to like get too wrapped up into exercise. There's a real idolatry of the body that we see today. You know, the guys with the with the, the biceps and the and the girls with the with the hot bods and all of this kind of stuff. See, what the temptation there is to invest in the external. Okay, that's the foolish virgin. It's completely investing in the external self. And forgetting the true self. The true self is that self as called to be in Christ, again, from an eternal perspective. And it doesn't exclude the body, but the body and the material part of who we are are integrated into that higher context, that broader context of the spiritual self of the soul. And uh, so... As I had said before, in a homily, it's really important to get the hierarchy of loves down. First and foremost, we have to love God. But you know who we love right after God? It's ourself, actually. Okay, But it's our true self that we have to love and that we have to invest in. And then in the third place, we love our neighbor as ourself. And then in the fourth place, we can love our creature comforts and seek pleasure in a balanced way and our health and things like that. But we can't absolutize our health or our beauty or our image or our reputation or our success in terms of our profession or whatever it is. We can never prioritize that above our neighbor, above our true self, or above God. So that's that's the problem. And the wise virgins, why they're so wise is because they've got that hierarchy of loves down pat. And they have invested their whole life in uh, the true self. And when it comes down to it, and, and we've arrived at the final judgment, we're going to see there's going to be a whole bunch of people who they had those priorities correct. And other people just dithered their, their lives away by chasing all these external things, and they're going to be foolish, and it's going to be too late. And they're going to say, you know, hey, what, what's going on? This is, you know, hey, this is not fair. Well, 
You didn't spend your life working to invest in what really mattered. And so it's your own fault. You don't have anybody to blame but yourself. So we need to be wise. And I think St. Augustine, he went through that whole process in his life right up before his conversion. The big thing for him, I think one of the big breakthroughs he had, it sounds so simple, but it's really, it's a really profound and important thing. The big breakthrough he had intellectually was at some point in his late 20s, he finally started to conceive of God in a truly spiritual manner. Before he came to that sort of intellectual breakthrough, he conceived of God as really a material being and like a big uh, ocean that you can imagine. It was just like, okay, so just like God is like this big ocean. It's like he just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Okay, he was conceiving of God in material uh, means or material fashion. And as soon as he was able to say, like, wait a second, I can't use my imagination to apprehend God. God is purely immaterial. That's when we begin to tap into our true spiritual self because our souls themselves are immaterial. And God is transcendent. To say that he's immaterial is an understatement. Okay, He's completely transcendent. He's so totally spiritual. And we have to prioritize the spiritual over the material in life. And unless we, you know, the problem today with so many things, um, I think of something like, you know, you look at like Black Lives Matter. This movement, it's trying to, it's fighting for social justice, and that's good. Fighting for social justice is part of the Catholic doctrine, but they do it within a Marxist framework, okay? And so Marxism is this ideological movement started back in Germany in the early 19th century that is purely materialistic. They don't believe that there are immaterial realities such as souls or angels or God. Okay? And so material things are the only things, are the highest reality. It's the only things worth fighting for. Okay? So the greatest thing in life, then, is to make sure that social classes, there's some kind of equality between social classes. And you're going to fight, and you're going to kill, even, and use violence. And what are we seeing today? All the riots, all the burning, all of this garbage. We're going to do whatever it takes, means, you know, the ends justifies the means, so that we can bring about what we, this thing that we, we, we value above all else, which is really a material thing. Okay? And it's, it's really sad. So it's the same thing with the understanding of the self. If you think that you're just a material reality and that you don't have an immortal soul and an eternal vocation, you can never access the true self. Never. And so by, by, by dint of habit, you're going to invest your whole life in things that are purely material and earthly and this worldly and temporal, and you're going to totally, totally miss the boat. Uh, it sounds so simple, but it, it's really important to understand that we have a soul, and that's our true self, and that's what we need to invest in. So St. Augustine is a great example for us of someone who went through that transition and really transcended the material to try to uh, to get to the spiritual. We hear it in our in our opening prayer, which talks about heavenly love, heavenly love, that he, he, he ordered his entire life and sacrificed his entire life for that heavenly love. So my brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's aim high. Let's not sell our sh- ourselves short. Uh, let's be like those wise virgins that invests in the true self and the immaterial, spiritual, and eternal uh, self.